All right, so at this time, we're, we're blessed um, to have uh, Mark Van Ando uh, be our, our, our minister of the word today. Um, I'm excited because, I mean, he's a brother that just walks with a, a humble dopeness. Um, and, you know, he loves the Lord. He does so much uh, in the community. He's, he serves as Charlotte Mason. He's on the west side in Brightmoor area, one of my old hoods, uh, just laboring there, um, ministering, just Brightmoor. Um, and he's just one of those soldiers where his boots is on the pavement. And so he's actually in the streets working hard, laboring um, to see people uh, come to Christ and cared for. And uh, he's taking the time today to come and, and minister to us. And so, um, brother, love you, excited, and um, let's pray for you as you come up here to bless us. Dear gracious Father, Lord God, just thank you for, um, Lord, you always take care of this body, and even when our our pastor is away, Lord, you continue to bless us with um, just men of God with just uh, to have an excep- exceptional understanding of your word and a character and um, just a love to go along with it. And Lord, would you use our brother, Pastor Mark, um, to bless us, to proclaim your truth, um, Lord, to lead us to, to worship and a, a deeper understanding of who you are. And Lord, we love you, we honor you, and may you receive all the glory. Amen. Oh, I've already been blessed being with you all and being part of your body life here together. Um, it's a privilege to be with you, to celebrate the transitions at Mac Development and to uh, look forward with anticipation to calling to Southeast Asia and to grieve with those who grieve with Charles. And um, it's a real privilege to be with you. And I honor what God is doing in your body here. So I bless you and bless your pastor, Leon, who's a dear friend of mine. And uh, just really am encouraged by God's work in your midst. So I pray that you're encouraged as well today by hearing God's word for you. Um, in the midst of joys and sorrows, sometimes the question is like, uh, what's my life about? What, <laughs> what, why am I significant? Why am I here? And so today I want to talk about a story from uh, the life of Jesus that talks about significance. Because sometimes I think we all have this longing to kind of be like, I want to be somebody. I want to count. I want to make my life count. Like, uh, I want to further God's kingdom in some way. I want to see, I want to use my gifts for something. And that's how God's created us in his image for good works here on earth. So that's true. Sometimes I can be abused by pride when we try to make ourselves better. But we all have this genuine thing like, I want to be significant. I want to be significant. And yet, in the midst of the brokenness of this world, we're like, man, God, I'm, I'm a mess. <laughs> how, how can you use me in my brokenness? Or how can you work in this world that's so broken? It can sometimes be overwhelming. But uh, God is faithful and he continues to build his kingdom with people like you and me. And so today we're going to uh, hear a story from uh, Mark chapter 5 about someone who had an encounter with Jesus that brought real significance to his life. And um, I know you guys t- typically like have someone read the scripture, and, and, but uh, I'm kind of a storyteller, so I want to kind of have this be interactive. So we're going to have um, some reading and then 
I'm going to make some commentary on it. It'll kind of be back and forth like that, so it'll be a little bit different. But um, I wanted to show you some pictures because I just had an opportunity this summer to go to the Holy Land to study the scriptures and the land of the Bible. And um, it was an amazing experience to be able to see with my eyes the places where Jesus walked. So I want to show you some pictures of that. I've got them up here on the slide. So first of all, this, the region that we're going to be talking about today is the region of Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. It's really more of a lake than a sea. It's uh, the Lake of Gennesaret is what it's also called by. But this is the region where Jesus did about 70 or 80% of his ministry was in this area, specifically in this area up here, Capernaum, Chorazim, uh, Bethsaida up in the top there. And uh, this was an area of religious Jews who lived on the northern side of the lake, many times fishermen. Uh, many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. So they lived on the northern side of the lake. And that's where Jesus spent most of his time. But today we're going to talk about a story that takes place in uh, Susita here, which is also called Hippos. And it's on the other side of the lake. Now, the type of people who lived here, when, when the Israelites came into the promised land, they cast out these nations, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and uh, all these Canaanites, they cast them out of the land of Israel. And all those people, they pushed to this side of the, the land. So they pushed them out, up and out of the land of Canaan, which kind of stretches down this way. But uh, so this, this area is all those nations, those seven nations. The region of the Gerizines is what it's called. And so you had all kinds of pagan people living here. In fact, they would do things that a good religious Jew would find just repulsive. Like they uh, worshipped Baal and they ate and sacrificed pigs, which of course was forbidden for Hebrews to do. They had sexual perversion and child sacrifice. All these things were, uh, again, just pagan, awful, stomach-curdling things to the Israelites. And uh, the, the area was formerly conquered by Alexander the Great. And he taught that human beings were the pinnacle uh, of all the universe and that human beings, everything rational that we could explain in our mind, this is like what is truth. It's what we can explain by humans. There was no beyond kind of sense of truth. So again, this is kind of like to a Jewish mind, this is kind of crazy thinking, how can this we don't want to have anything to do with these crazy people because they worship foreign gods. They do promiscuous things. They're out of control. So that area was all kind of this twisted place that the Jews would totally avoid. They would not try and go anywhere near there because of the paganism that was there. So that's a little backdrop there. And just um, a couple other pictures. I've got a couple other pictures that kind of give you an image of the, the region. So this is the area of Hippos up here on the hill is, the, is where the town was. This is taken from down below. The next slide shows, uh, this is a view out from the town up on the hill. This is a view out over the Sea of Galilee, so you can kind of picture this. The next slide shows some caves that were right along the hill here. You can kind of just see built in here a few small caves. So this is kind of the region of Hippos. The reason I do this is because for me, an image is much more powerful than just hearing words about it. So suddenly I'm like, oh, Hippos, bam. I see this in my mind. So it's a real place. These are real people. This really happened in history. And so I want you guys to get the sense of that as we look at that. The next slide shows uh, this scripture that the people of Israel would have obviously known. Um, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people, the prophet Isaiah says, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places 
who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels. This is just showing how abhorrent this kind of action behavior was for a good Jew. It would be like, oh, it's repulsive, the kind of activity that's happening here. So that's the context in which we get our story today. So let's, um, oh, one, one extra bonus point for you here. Um, this area of the Gerasenes was also associated with another biblical text about a prodigal son. Do you remember it says he went off to a far country and he squandered his money in wild living and then he was feeding the pigs? It's probably happening in this region here. So when you think that's the kind of connotation that this has for a Jewish person, like this is the worst space you could go. This is like going to, de- uh, you know, going to your death. It's just abhorrent to the people of Israel. So um, with that in context, we're going to read from Mark chapter 4. And uh, you can take it away with the reading of chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to pick it up just before the story because Mark puts these stories together. So I'm going to read kind of two stories consecutively. So go ahead, take it away. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this brief story, you get this idea. Jesus says to the disciples, let's go to the other side. And then what happens when they get across on the, on the sea? A storm comes up, right? Well, can you imagine the disciples? They're like, we're going to the other side. This is where the pagan folks are from. Then this storm comes up. It's kind of like, what were you thinking, Jesus? Of course, a storm is coming up. But we're not supposed to go that way. We are not supposed to go to that pagan area. You're out of your mind. Now here comes a storm. What's going to happen? But Jesus calms the wind and the waves. He shows himself to be ruler over the chaos of the sea. He calms them. And then the disciples sit there and they go, who is this? They've been hanging out with Jesus for weeks, months, maybe even a year at this point. And they're like, who is this? This is a different level. Now Jesus has just exposed some to them that they were not ready for. And they're saying, who is this? Who is this is their question. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So now they come to the other side and uh, we'll pick up the story for the rest of today. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So now they get to the other side. What's the first thing they encounter? A crazy man, right? They've, they get to another level. Like, this is craziness. This is pure craziness, of course. And they're going, hey, Jesus, we told you. 
Didn't you know? You're gonna, when you go to this place, you're going to find crazy people. When you go here, you're always going to enter into chaos. So they're not surprised, I'm sure, when they, when they encounter this. But Jesus obviously is intentional about his purpose of being here. So this man is legitimately crazed. There is something demonic, something uh, otherworldly that's impacting him and that has caused him to be night and day among the tombs and in the mountains and nobody can bind him. He's totally out of control. Now, uh, I think sometimes we get this picture of Jesus that when you're with Jesus, everything's going to be like the calm shepherd who's just patiently touching his sheep that you're just going to be in just calm circumstances where there's not going to be any chaos whatsoever. But if you're following Jesus, you will follow Jesus into places of chaos. You will follow people into places of chaos. So Brightmore is a place of chaos, right, Edith? There are places of chaos in our city, and people would look at MacAv Church or other communities in, in our uh, city, and they would say, you are crazy to go to that place and live in that place and be present in the chaos that's there. Why don't you get out? There's Christians that say this. When we moved to Detroit, we had people legitimately saying, what in the world are you doing as if God could not be present in the place of chaos? Now, there's beauty here too, trust me. I'm not just trying to say Detroit is chaotic. There's a lot of beauty here. But there are places of violence and pain and brokenness just like this man was experiencing here in our communities. And Jesus is present in these places. This is not God-forsaken places. Jesus goes and enters intentionally, purposefully into these places. So when we start thinking about being safe or safety, what is that? Is that a cultural value or is that a Holy Spirit value, right? We've got these questions in our mind. What is safety? What is security? And what is God calling us to in what places? Southeast Asia, the reason, part of the reason I'm sure they couldn't say is because there's places where people get killed for being Christians in Southeast Asia, right? That's not necessarily a safe place to be. So it's not as though we say, oh, well, let's just turn around and go back to safety. Let's leave this place. Uh, we, sh- we shouldn't be present here. No, Jesus is present in those places in powerful ways. And this is obviously demonic spirit. Matt, I know uh, Matt Rojak preached on this a few weeks ago. There's spiritual forces alive in our world that are fighting for the death and destruction of our people, of our neighbors, of our families, of our communities. This is active and alive. But Jesus chooses to stay present to this. Do you know what this is? This is reckless love, <laughs> right? That's just what we were talking about earlier. Like reckless love says, I'm going to go to a place that doesn't make sense to the world around. I'm going to go there and be present and show God's reckless love there. That's what, reckless is not, like she said, it's not, uninten- or it's not crazy or wild. It's purposeful and intentional. But to the world, it looks reckless. To the world, it looks bizarre. Now, um, when you hear this story, this is the beauty of Jesus telling stories that we start to put ourselves into the life, into the characters of the story, right? That's part of the reason Jesus told parables because that's how we connect. Am I this person or this person, right? So the funny part is, uh, if you ever get to a place and you think that you're Jesus in the story, check yourself. That's not the right person, okay? Never, never, never put yourself in the position of Jesus. But in this story, you could be putting yourself in the shoes of this man. Maybe 
this is what life looks like for you. It's crazy. It feels like it's out of control. There's no solution, no answers. Nothing can be calmed. It's so chaotic that I don't know what to do. I'm out of my mind. If you are not this person, maybe you know this person. Maybe you know people like this who are struggling just to survive every day because of the pressures that are on them. Internal pressures, internal things, but also external things like racism or sexism, the things that are like forces, violence that are all around us that keep pressing in on us. So maybe you feel this way, and I would encourage you, the beauty of this community that I've already seen is you guys ask for prayer when you're in trouble. And I pray that for those of you who didn't feel comfortable writing it on a piece of paper, that you feel comfortable coming to one of the elders afterwards or coming to a friend and asking for prayer for your stuff. Like, this is not a place to come with your stuff, with your baggage and bondage, and then walk away as if nothing ever matters. It's been demonstrated here that people are here to care for each other. This is a hospital where people get cared for. So please, please press into asking for people to pray for you, encourage you. Don't get stuck thinking that your stuff doesn't matter or shouldn't, should continue to be hidden. Let, just allow God to free the bondage that you might be in through the prayer of your brothers and sisters here. So as you think about, maybe you're thinking about one of your neighbors or coworkers. I know that you were just mentioning Kyle, right? You were just mentioning uh, this coworker and talking about substance abuse and some of these challenges. Some of these things, we know people who struggle like this. So just have it in your mind that you're praying. If this isn't you, maybe you need to be praying for somebody else. But uh, are, we enter in, are we willing to enter into these spaces or are we just trying to play it safe? I really believe that when we enter into spaces like this, this is where we can encounter Jesus most profoundly, in profound, profound ways when Jesus enters into these places and we go in his name into these places. Let's pick it up again in uh, verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure by you, God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. I don't know if you caught this. When Jesus starts interacting with this man, what does the man do? He says to him, what have you to do with me, son of the most high God? The disciples are saying, who is this? The demon-possessed man says, you're the son of the most high God, right? It's, it's this flip of our minds. Who sees Jesus for who they really are? It's the, the man with the problem. The demonic man has this spirit and he says, uh, Jesus is interacting with him. He says, what's your name? It's Legion. And Legion is like a troop of uh, Roman uh, guards, like soldiers that was up to 6,000 soldiers was in a legion. So he's, this is significant. I am a mass of people. I, you don't want to mess with me. Don't just stay away, Jesus. What are you trying to do with me? I'm, I'm a mass. I'm coming to, to do battle. I'm, I am serious in this place. But Jesus persists. And Jesus presses towards him and has this interaction with him. Even being bold enough to ask his name, this is so crazy that Jesus would even ask his name, that this would be the interaction that they would have. So imagine this, just picture this in your mind if you can. 
you've seen the pictures of the, the region around there, those caves, that picture of the caves. Just picture Jesus walking in that vicinity and encountering this man. Where, is, where are his disciples? I like to picture them kind of behind him. Like, like instead of rolling, like they're tough next to him, like bodyguards, suddenly they've fallen back and Jesus is the one leading the way and they're all kind of cowering behind him. That's how I imagine it. But when you look into Jesus' face, what do you see? I see fierce determination and love and compassion for this man. How do you have compassion on a crazy person? I just believe Jesus, when when I think of Jesus' eyes, I'm thinking Jesus is showing love towards him and compassion to him in the midst of his brokenness, knowing that he's not choosing to have this. This is something that's been put on him. Jesus has compassion on him. I just love those, those tender, loving, but firm eyes of Jesus. I just picture how beautiful it would be to look into those eyes. And even for me, in my brokenness, when I picture Jesus, do I look at Jesus and he's got that look of shame, like a bad parent, like scowling, no, Mark, no, no. No, I see Jesus, if I, my, on my best days, I see Jesus looking tenderly, and gently at me with compassion, saying, you don't have to be tormented by that anymore. Let that go, Mark. Let that go. This is the, the Lord that we serve, the Lord that we love. It's not a Lord who beats us down. It's a Lord who lovingly and gently confronts us in the midst of our brokenness and reaches out and offers us healing. This is the good news. It's it's the Lord who loves us in our brokenness, a a Lord who comes to deliver us and set us free and give us hope and mercy and grace and healing. And Jesus shows that he has power to do those things as he continues in the story. Let's pick it up here. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw a demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." Jesus does the miracle, sends it out, casts out this demon, this, this legion of demons casts out of his, of his body, sends them into the pigs, and the pigs go hurtling into the chaos of the sea. Hallelujah. This is the power of our Lord. I don't want you leaving out of here thinking, oh, God's arm is too small to save my situation. God's arm is too short. God cannot meet me in this place. I'm too far gone. It's too... The, the powers, the forces are too strong. No, no, no. Jesus has the power to be able to heal and save and deliver. Hallelujah. We, I, I, don't, I picture this, this man's mother suddenly coming to him again, like she's been estranged from him for years, maybe decades, and suddenly she has a, she, he's in his right mind. Whoa. Whoa, this is huge. And what's the last statement? They were afraid. Now, this is what's the paradox here. 
Jesus heals him. He does the right thing. Now he destroys the pigs. There, we'll read about that later. But, the, the, but he does the right thing. This man is healed. You would think that people would rejoice and be so happy, but they're afraid. You see, Jesus, when he comes into our lives, he changes things and it's hard. Change is hard. <laughs> they're like, wait a minute. I didn't know who I was messing with here. This is, this, wait, 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 right? We don't know if we're okay with this anymore. Do you know the, the story of the, the Chronicles of Narnia? And, and there's this lion called Aslan. And the beavers who are part of the story, they say, somebody asked them, well, is Aslan, is the lion, is he safe? Oh no, he's not safe, but he's good. There's a difference, right? When you're following Jesus, you are following Jesus in a very unsafe, crazy world, and there will be things that don't make sense and you'll be tempted to be afraid. But if you are with Jesus in, that, in the midst of that, you know that Jesus is present and he will make it good. He will make it good. In the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the brokenness, we can trust in that, we can depend in that, in the midst of all the things going on. Jesus is with us and he will make it good. Now, um, well, let's just uh, finish out this part of the story here. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Wow. So here we go. They, they beg him to leave. Um, this just points out to me, economic realities are when it really hits home, right? <laughs> when you start messing with my wallet, then get up out of here, which is interesting. In a community like this, people benefit from this community staying the way that it is. When you start messing things up, then people are like, hey, wait a minute, wait, 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 right? We wanted you to help people, but don't really change things economically. Don't take money out of my pocket to do it. That's the threat. Okay, that was a side, that was a bonus. Uh, but the power of this is Jesus turns and he says to the man, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, this is interesting, right? Jesus is constantly, he's trying to call disciples to follow him. And you would think he goes to this pagan place. You would think he'd be like, this man goes, please, please, please let me go with you. And Jesus, you would think Jesus would be like, yeah, this is good. This is good for us. If he's thinking strategically, like I want to reach this community. Let me take this guy with me. I'll train him for two years. Then I'll send him back. He'll get his seminary education. Then we can send him back to his people and it'll be good, right? But Jesus doesn't allow him to. Jesus says, nope, that's not what, what this is about. And then Jesus says, go and tell your people how the Lord has had mercy on you. Now, this is interesting because when he's in the Jewish place, when he's in the, or in the uh, Capernaum and stuff, when he heals somebody, he's like, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. He's trying to keep it quiet all the time. But this guy, he says, no, go tell everybody. Tell everybody what the Lord has done. So Jesus uses different 
uh, strategies in different places based on what the Spirit is trying to do in that community. So just, this is just trying to be discerning about this. You use different strategies in different places for different things. So Jesus says, go tell what the Lord has done for you. He doesn't send this guy to seminary. He doesn't tell him you need to learn the four spiritual laws. You need to X, Y, Z. He says, just go tell what God has done for you. Now in this world, when there's a battle for what truth is in this world, and so people always are debating, well, your facts are not my facts, and this is truth for me, and whatever. The beauty of this is this man's narrative is just powerful. Look at what the Lord has done for me. So my question for you is, what's, what's your narrative? What is the story that God has given you that nobody can tell you differently? Nobody can say, well, that didn't happen for you. No, you, it happened to you. What's your story? What is the, the way in which the Lord has shown mercy to you? And is it really hard for you to share that with other people? Wow, the Lord really did something amazing for me. I was really suffering with bitterness and hate and resentment towards my whomever. And the Lord has freed me from that. Wow, that doesn't happen every day. But if you tell somebody that, wow, that can be really healing for someone and that can start to spread this kind of Jesus way throughout the world around us. Just sharing your story. You don't have to know exactly every doctrinal point. Leave that to Pastor Leon. Leave that to people like me who are crazy enough to want to study that stuff all the time. But you go tell your story. That's the beauty of this. Now, now I, I just want to point this out because this is beautiful. He went away and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This is a pagan place. This is not supposed to be people who are going to be like all excited about hearing about what the Lord has done. This is a pagan place, but they were marveling. And uh, this is how this ends. I just want to kind of wrap it up with this. Um, If we skip ahead a few weeks or months, it's in the book of Mark in chapter six. Uh, You can read that now. When, um, When we get to this point, we're skipping ahead into the next chapter. So this is weeks or months later. Go ahead. It's six, chapter 6, verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. You see this? This is the same area. When Jesus comes back, there really is a legion of people. There's a legion of people seeking him out because they're so amazed. They're so eager to have Jesus come to them because of whom? One man. One insane, chaotic, broken man that Jesus brought healing to. And suddenly this whole community is flocking to see Jesus and encounter, have an encounter with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? This picture of how God has done so much in one person's life and just in his being faithful and obedient to God and going back and telling the story, suddenly this whole community is brought alive to the things of God, to the nature of Jesus. Suddenly, it's, it's miraculous. And Jesus is still doing this type of things today. We're not trying to convince people to come into this building in order to hear a spiritual talk. Like, that's not what this is about. Th- this is good. 
But this is about you going out and sharing the good news of what God has done in your life to the people around. This is God's life-changing work in your life that happens mostly out of this building, right? So don't stress about trying to get people in here. Go be out, be present people, share your stories and allow people to encounter Christ in that way. That's, that's what I hear from the story. It's just saying we need to be present in the chaos and allow Jesus to work with us and use our stories, the healing that work that he does in us. And we're at different stages, right? Some people are like, I'm in need of healing right now. That's, what, I'm, that's all I'm at. So that may be you at the beginning of the story. But for some of you, you have been healed. So go. Speak your story, share your story in a beautiful way so that uh, so that Jesus can be proclaimed. Now, uh, one final postscript to this. Um, when uh, in, well, from church history, we know this. There was a church that formed in Hippos. There's a church that formed there because church history records it. We have, it's not written in the Bible, but it's written in books afterwards. And in, um, there was a bishop appointed there, which meant that the, he was, person who was in charge enough to be able to oversee a number of churches that were in that region. And in uh, the Council of Nicaea, which is 325 AD, sorry if I'm boring you with church history, but this is beautiful to me. In the Council of Nicaea, there was a conflict over whether Jesus was a human created by God or if he was truly God. The question is, who is Jesus at this council? Who is Jesus? And it's written in the record of church history that the bishop of the church at Hippos voted in favor of saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So this one man's story had repercussions then for hundreds of years into a council that we still have this Nicene Creed that we as Christians adhere to that says, no, Jesus is Lord and God. He is part of the Trinity. He is God in conjunction with the Father and the Spirit. This is the power of this. This is what happens when we experience the healing of God and then we walk that out in our lives and share that with those around us. So let me pray for you. God, thank you for this community of faith. Thank you for carrying them through um, all kinds of journeys and seasons. Lord, thank you for where you have them right now, for the new exciting things. And even in the midst of brokenness, God, we claim your healing for this community for the people in this community, for this neighborhood, for this region around this space, for Mac and Van Dyke, for this space, Mac and Harding, Lord. We just pray that your spirit would continue to go out and use us. Please, Lord, allow us to uh, remember our stories, to remember those miraculous things that you've done in our lives so that we can share those with people around, so that your kingdom may come, so that the world may know that you are Lord and Savior. And we believe that it's true because you are our Lord and Savior. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.